Amen. And you may be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We will pick up in verse 14 this morning as we continue to work through Paul's letter to the Philippian church from a Roman prison cell. Last Sunday we saw that salvation requires work. You've got to be careful when you talk about that in Christianity because it's not a works-based salvation. We don't work to get saved. We work because we are saved. And there is a big difference between those two. Last Sunday we saw in Philippians 2.12, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. We are to work on our salvation, not for our salvation. And we do this because God first is working in us. So both God and man are at work, but God is primary. God is the first who works. And it's through His work that we are then energized to join in working out our own salvation. This Sunday, we take a step forward and we look at what that looks like. We are shown... One key way that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It's in verse 14. Let's read 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I might be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. These verses here, 14 through 16, are just as urgent as verses 12 and 13 are glorious. 12 and 13 are pretty glorious. God is at work in us, therefore we are to work out our own salvation. That's really good news. For if God did not begin a good work in us, he would not have a good work to bring to completion. So that's glorious news, but here we have urgent news. We are to do all things without grumbling or disputing. And when we do that, we are working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. This passage meets us right where we sit. This is a good word for us because we all are ever on the edge of grumbling. I want to remind you, we believe in expository preaching at Rocky Point Baptist Church, and I did not choose a text this morning to hammer you on grumbling. The Lord did, because we're working our way through Philippians, and here we sit. And He worked on me well this week with this passage. And I pray this morning that you have the heart to allow God to work on you. This is a passage, like I said, that meets us right where we are on a day-to-day basis. And I want you to know that this is a really good passage for us to have before us. Because if we rightly embrace this passage, there's repentance to be had. (laughs) And if repentance is had, forgiveness is granted. And we're reconciled with God on an issue that we all struggle with. So this is a good place for us to be this morning. I want you to look at this text with me. And really, I've got two 
two ways to cut this. Number one, we're going to see the command against grumbling right there in verse 14. So we're going to look at the command against grumbling. And there is a good bit to say about that. But then secondly, we're going to see the purposes for the command. It's not just a command and don't ask any questions. There's some purposes behind this command against grumbling. And then we'll wrap up with some application. Okay, so that's where we'll go, these two points. Let's look at the first one, the command against grumbling. It's just a quick six-word six or seven-word phrase in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Boy, that's heavy lifting right there just to comply with that. Grumbling, have, I'll have you know, is a very ancient sin. It's not a modern phenomenon that people grumble these days. It is ancient. It is as old as humankind is. Okay, if we look at 1 Corinthians, I do want you to turn back to the left in your Bibles with me. Just a few pages back, maybe 20 or so. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is also Paul writing to a church in Corinth. And this grumbling issue is addressed there as well. So 1 Corinthians 10 verse 9. Paul says to Corinth and to us, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Boy, that's a fitting verse when we come to this grumbling passage in Philippians. I've got two, two instances here in this verse in 1 Corinthians 10 that I want to bring to your attention. The first one is verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Does that draw to mind anything from the Old Testament? The fiery serpents and the bronze serpent in the wilderness of Israel? Verse 9 points to the history of the bronze serpent scenario that we find in Numbers 21, 4 through 7. I'm glad for you to turn there, but I'm going to handle this for you. Numbers 21, 4 through 7, here's what it says. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient. Oh boy, grumbling is just around the corner, isn't it? They became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? That's called grumbling, folks. Plain and simple. For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Grumbling. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. We have grumbled against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And we know the rest of the story. God had Moses fashion a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And when people were bit, if they would look at that serpent, they would be healed. That serpent is a precursor of a Jesus Christ that's on a pole. And if we look to Christ on the cross, we will be healed. That's another sermon for another time. So here we have in the wilderness people grumbling 
against the Lord and against Moses. The key phrase there is, we have spoken against God and against Moses. That's the problem. This spoken against God. That's what grumbling is. In 1 Corinthians 10.9, Paul says that grumbling is putting Christ to the test. Did you catch that? 1 Corinthians 10.9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did who were destroyed by serpents. Grumbling is putting Jesus Christ to the test. And wow, this is really interesting because I'm in 1 Corinthians 10. He's referencing Numbers chapter 21 and he's saying Jesus Christ was put to the test in the Old Testament before Christ was incarnate. Just another place where we see the deity and the eternal existence of God the Son, Christ. Verse 10, look at that one in 1 Corinthians 10. Nor grumble, we're not to put Christ to the test, nor grumble as some of them did, who were destroyed by the destroyer. And that destroyer in your Bible is probably a capital D. That's God. Do not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed. Well, that is a reference to the spies with Caleb and Joshua who went into the land with 12 spies. This is a reference to that event. Listen to Numbers 14, 2 and 3. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. This is after the spies came back and gave a report of giants in the land and, and grapes this big. And I don't know how we're going to be able to subdue those fortified cities. The people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? And that land is the promised land. To fall by the sword. Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? grumbling. God has promised a land flowing with milk and honey. And they grumble their way against going into that land. And they would rather go back to Egypt where what were they doing in Egypt? Grumbling. We do laugh at this. But this is us. This is us. We are Israel. We grumbled where we were. We grumble where we are, wanting to be back where we were. If we got our wishes and all of our grumblings, it would be a circle. And we would go back and forth in madness. Back to conditions that we weren't satisfied to get away from the current conditions that we aren't satisfied in. And then we would wish that we would be back here. instead. It's a never-ending cycle. We are prone to be grumblers. You know, this, this moment where Israel is on the edge, they're, they're ready to go into the promised land. They send the spies in. The spies tell the story of what they saw. These folks are on the verge of going into God's blessing. God promised them this land. God began working in them long ago. He's going to hand enemies in this land over to them, even though they're the measly little Israelites. God is at work in them. Don't you think this would have been a good time for them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling? God worked by preparing the land for them. 
God is working as they would march across that river into the land. They should at this point join him in working out their own salvation, working out their own entrance into the promised land because God's already promised it. But they didn't work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. They denied their own salvation with fear and trembling. They were scared of giants and walled cities. They need to work in His power to assume the land, the salvation, by the way, that He promised them. He promised them salvation in this land. It's a picture of what God has promised us in eternal life, in the new heavens and the new earth. We will inherit a promised land. He's promised it. We will get it. We must work out our entrance. But they grumbled, wished they were back in Egypt, And they got sentenced by God to 40 years in the wilderness until that generation of grumblers died off. And then they would readdress the Jordan River and cross. Grumbling existed even long before that. Grumbling existed in the moment of original sin. We just looked at this in our discovery class upstairs. Genesis 3, 11 and 12. God is encountering Adam and Eve in the garden. They've cut fig leaves. They they sinned against God and ate of the tree that he forbid them to. They cut fig leaves and covered themselves, and they're hiding in the bushes. And God, as a missionary, goes into the garden to reach lost people. And he says, who told you, man, where are you? We're hiding. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree in which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, that woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. I hear grumbling in this. I didn't do it. That woman you gave me. If you hadn't given me that woman, I would not have defied your command and eaten of that tree. There's grumbling in this reaction. To God. And it centered right around the original sin that was in the garden. I think the serpent tempted Eve to grumble. Surely, God, you're not going to die. He didn't mean that for you. It'd be good for you. And probably with a little bit of a grumbling heart, yeah, why would God want to deprive me of this? It's grumbling that happened in the original sin. I, I also look just right after that in Genesis chapter 4. Grumbling, if you look at Cain and Abel's story, grumbling is what I would term a gateway sin. You know what a gateway sin is? It's a sin that you enter through to commit all kinds of other sins. Watch this. Cain and Abel both bring offerings to God. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Okay, now watch this. Here comes the grumbling. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. There's the grumbling. Can you grumble with a cheerful face? No, your face is fallen. It's sagging. Gravity is pulling it down to the ground. And your bottom lip sticks out. His face 
fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Why are you grumbling in your spirit? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And then listen to this. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up again against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. It's a gateway sin. He grumbled. His face fell. He then murders. And then he lies. I don't know where my brother is. Am I his keeper? You see how the grumbling, not addressed, not repented of, led to murder, led to lying. It's a gateway sin. And I want you to hear from me this morning that you do not need to live for long In a state of grumbling. Or it'll lead you to do things unfathomable. Before that moment. We'll come back to that. There was a perceived wrong. A grumble. A murder. And a lie. There was no repentance of this grumbling. It led to a host of other temptations. And this temptation to grumble must be killed. Or it will kill you and or others. Grumbling as a gateway leads to other temptations. Let me walk you through a few. In a grumbling moment, you're going to be tempted to steal. Why? Because you're grumbling that you don't have. You could be tempted to steal. Something you would never dream of before that. But since you lingered in grumbling for too long without killing it, you find yourself stealing to get this grumbling out of your system. I won't grumble anymore because I'll have what what I don't have. Grumbling also could lead to coveting. It is a part of coveting. I don't have, I covet it. And therefore, I'm going to grumble. That's one of the Ten Commandments. It could lead to slander. You grumble, grumble, grumble about things that are going on in your life. You're probably going to slander those that you think have deprived you. If you grumble, it could prone you towards laziness. Why would I work hard? I'm just going to grumble. It's hard to be ambitious at work. When you're grumbling, it's easy to be lazy. So we've got to be careful. We need to understand from the Scriptures that grumbling is a deadly, dangerous temptation. And if we're living in a state of grumbling, we are on perilous ground and there is no telling what comes next. So we need to be killing grumbling. What's wrong with grumbling? Let's, let's talk about that for a moment. The bottom line here is that grumbling is a statement about what you think about God. Watch this, Exodus 16, 2 and 3. A lot of Old Testament here this morning. Here's what we read. The whole congregation, this is, this is the scenario where manna and quail are given to the Israelites to feed them. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So there it is again, grumbled. They were in the wilderness and the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died in the land of the Lord, of, died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Here we go again. They keep wanting back into Egypt. 
Would we have not died in Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full? (laughs) For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger, grumbling. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, For what are we you that you grumble against us? Why are you grumbling against us? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Who led them out of Egypt? The Lord. Through Moses, but the Lord did. And so here, Moses addresses the issue point blank. Their grumbling is not against him. Their grumbling is against God, who made them and chose them and led them out of bondage through a Red Sea, past Mount Sinai, into the wilderness as they're trekking towards the promised land. Grumbling is against God, and it is a sin because God is sovereign. And your grumbling is calling him into question in the circumstances that he has placed you in. Now, I want to be careful for a moment. You could be grumbling because you're in a difficult situation, but you're in that situation because you were disobedient to God and you were being punished. Or you could be in a situation where you're being tested by God. And in that moment, grumbling is questioning the goodness of his test and the goodness of his provision. Let me define grumbling for you. Here it is. Get your pens out and write this one down. Grumbling is not being satisfied with God's sovereign provision and or timing of meeting your needs or desires. I'll say it again. Grumbling is not being satisfied with God's sovereign provision and or timing of meeting your needs or desires. That's what's wrong with grumbling. God is sovereign. You are not in a circumstance that He is unaware of. You are probably in a circumstance that He, probably, let's remove that word, you are in a circumstance that He has permitted or ordained. And to grumble in that moment is to call Him into question. Grumbling charges God with wrong. We do this with finances. We grumble about what we make and we forget that God put us in a role, provided us with a wage. It might be tight, but there is a purpose behind that. We grumble in it as it relates to work. We don't like our work. We don't like our boss. We don't like our co-workers. We don't like our commute. And on and on and on, we can grumble. We grumble about our health. We grumble about companionship and the lack thereof and the timing of such companionship, whether it be a spouse or children. We grumble about our schedule. Boy, we all do that. We grumble about our schedule. We don't like interruptions to our plans to get things done this day. We don't like interruptions. We don't like delays. We don't like detours for sure. And all the while, there is a sovereign God ruling and reigning over the circumstances of our life. 
And we are in all circumstances to rejoice and thank God for the one thing we know we have without a doubt, and that's salvation in Jesus Christ. Grumbling is charging God with wrong. Job gave us an example of how not to grumble. <laughs> Job chapter 1, 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job says this after he lost all of his family, all of his livestock, all of his property was destroyed. All he has left is his wife, who tells him to curse God and die. And the writer of Job goes on to say, In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. In other words... Job didn't grumble. Because grumbling is charging God with wrong. So, there we have a quick biblical history of grumbling. It is highly sinful. It is very ancient. And we all are prone to it. No one's exempt from it. That temptation in this room. In fact, as the Israelites were, I might say that we all are master grumblers. If we don't guard ourselves paul tells them do all things without grumbling that's where this gets really hard because we seem to think that there are some things that are legitimately grumbled about we excuse grumbling on a lot of issues in individual life we think it's okay to grumble about our spouse I don't mean that literally for us, but our society loves to grumble about spouses. One of the ugliest signs of grumbling is the mother-in-law grumbling jokes. There's no place for that in Christianity. No place for that. And there's certainly no place for grumbling about a spouse. There's no place for grumbling about parents. God gave us the parents that we have. Flawed as they are. Where would we be without them? Flawed as they are, they might need us to steer them in way of salvation. We grumble about work. Man, that is a pastime in America. We love to grumble about our jobs and our bosses. Maybe even our coworkers. But those bosses, we really like to grumble against. We grumble about our health. And as I said, schedule and money. How about in the congregational life? Those are individual life issues. How about within the confines of the congregation of the church? Boy, a grumbling church is ugly. It is an affront to God. We grumble about music. The things that are said to worship pastors, it's unbelievable what people will say to worship pastors about the music. The music is full of Bible, and yet there's grumbling about music. There's grumbling about events. There's grumbling about the menu on Wednesday night meals. We don't need to be a people like that. I'm not saying we have a problem with this. But that cannot be how we relate to one another and relate to God. We need to be careful individually and careful corporately that we are not a people that grumble. But we rejoice in all things, not disputing I want to give you the last point before we move on to why we shouldn't grumble. I want to give you the ugliest incident of grumbling that I can think of in all the Bible. It was in our Numbers chapter 20 scripture reading earlier that Tony brought to us, 2 through 13. 
Let me just read some snippets from that passage because this is all about grumbling. It's bi-directional grumbling. Now there was no water for the congregation and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and the people quarreled with Moses. They grumbled with Moses. Verse 7, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron and your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. God said, Tell the rock before their eyes to give up its water. Then we go down to verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, You ready for this? Hear now, you rebels. Would that be grumbling? Yes. Now Moses is grumbling back at the Israelites. So we have a a grumbling concert. Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. God said, speak to the rock. He yells at the rebels and beats the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord." It was a concert of grumbling. The Israelites were grumbling for no water. And Moses grumbled that they wouldn't trust. And it cost all of them. It cost Moses entrance into that promised land that they grumbled about when they wouldn't go in after the spies report. Grumbling ran amok. So, There's the history of grumbling. There's the ugliness of grumbling. There's the statement of grumbling. And we are called by Paul and God to grumble never. We are to do all things without grumbling. Why? Here's five purposes. Paul gives the Philippians five reasons to refrain from grumbling. The first one, if you'll look there in verse 14. The first one is, or actually 15, that you may be blameless and innocent. That word that means here comes the purpose for the command of no grumbling. That you may be blameless and innocent. I want you to know that if you look at the whole context of these three verses, there's a present element to that and a future element to that. The present conduct is that they are to strive to be blameless because it says in a moment here, you're going to live in the midst of a current generation that's crooked and depraved. And so you are to be blameless and innocent now in this life as you live amongst people that grumble. But it's also got a future perspective because later on down in verse 16, he talks about the day of Christ. And so you don't grumble today so that you'll be effective in the generation that you live in, but you also don't grumble today because there's a day in the future when you're going to need to be right with the Lord and grumbling will not have you in good standing with the second coming Christ. So you cannot grumble and be blameless and innocent before God. It's impossible. There's the first one. The second one is this, that you may be children of God without blemish. Do not grumble 
so that you can be children of God without blemish. Are you a child of God? That's a question that must be asked. Or are you a child of the world? If you're a child of the world, you're a grumbler. Because our culture grumbles. If you're a child of God, you do not. So grumbling is a blemish, a fault that does not reflect your relationship with God the Father. And so there's no place for it in your life. Number three, that you may be without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Do you agree that we live in a crooked and twisted generation of grumblers? Have you looked at Fox News? (laughs) They make money off of grumbling, do they not? Have you looked towards Washington, D.C.? People are elected based on grumbling. Our whole generation grumbles. And I've just shown you it's not new. Israel grumbled in the days of old. And so we live in a crooked and twisted generation that grumbles about politics and taxes and prices and restaurant service and traffic and referees and umpires at Little League baseball games. We grumble everywhere as a culture. But as aliens, as we are described in 1 Peter, we are not to be grumblers like this culture. We are not to conform to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Number four, we are not to grumble so that we can shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. This fourth reason is basically evangelistic reason, an evangelistic reason. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We're told in John, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then we're told in the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus, in the same way, we're to let our light shine before others that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. So we cannot grumble because that is not shining the light of Jesus Christ into the world. That is contributing to the darkness that rules the world. And so we're to hold forth to this word of life, this gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're to shine it into a world of grumblers. And we cannot do that if we ourselves are grumbling. And then last, number five, we are not to grumble so that in the day of Christ, Paul says, I may, not, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul here reveals to the Philippians and to us a very pastoral heart towards the people. He is pastoral in that you ask this question, what is in this for Paul? Why would he instruct the Philippians while he's in jail not to grumble? Well, he says, I don't want to run in vain and I don't want to have labored in vain as your pastor. Paul doesn't gain anything personally from them not grumbling. It's about what Christ gains. It's the glory of Christ that's at stake when we grumble. And Paul doesn't want that glory to be tarnished because the Philippians aren't contributing to it because they were grumblers. So we see that Paul, this was not just a ministry or a profession or a job. It was a passion to shepherd people for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say this. This is reflective on, on a faithful pastor of a church. 
Faithful pastors should talk like this. I, I as one of the pastors here, forget it for a moment, I'm a, I'm a sheep 95% of the time, and then 5% of the time I'm an under-shepherd. In my 5% moment here, it would discourage me immensely if we were a congregation of grumblers. Now, quick aside, praise the Lord, we do not seem to have a problem with grumbling. Hasn't always been said, but today we are not a grumbling congregation. And as a pastor, I would feel like I had preached in vain and taught in vain and shepherded in vain if we were today a congregation of grumblers. This would all be vanity. And so I can identify with Paul to a degree here. He cares deeply from a prison cell in Rome what's going on in the Philippian church because he's invested his heart and his soul into leading these people to honor God with their hearts and their tongues. Now I want you to be sure of this. Paul's work in the Philippian church would not be in vain if they continued to grumble and ignored his commands here. Why do I say that? The results are not Paul's results. The results are up to God. To be sure, Paul... In his ministry, it could not be in vain, even if the Israelites totally, the Israelites, the Philippians totally disregarded it, because Paul proclaimed Jesus Christ and him crucified over and over again. Paul worshiped Jesus Christ as he proclaimed and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. But his labor could have been in vain for the Philippians. And they could have vainly received his leadership and disregarded it and not held fast to the word of life. And so grumbling puts your life and your salvation in vain. It's not that of the, the ministers, the messenger. Grumbling puts your life and your salvation in vain. So there's five reasons that we're called by Paul to not be grumblers. And there are reasons from Old Testament days that we see that grumbling is an egregious affront to a sovereign God who has ordained the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So in conclusion, we are to put all of this together, starting in verse 12, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And that means we are not to grumble. The salvation God began in us does not include a provision for grumbling. We are to fear and tremble at the prospect of grumbling. We need to understand that we're weak and prone to grumble. We need to understand that the temptation to grumble is strong. And we are therefore to work out our own salvation by not grumbling. We need to ask ourselves the question, how can we grumble when God is working salvation out in us. Those are not compatible. If we grumble without repentance, we are not working out the salvation that God has worked in us. So I'm going to end with this. I'm going to give us some homework this week. I'm going to give us some homework this afternoon, including me. Here's the assignment. We need to strive to get through the rest of this day without grumbling once. Don't laugh. <laughs> Do this. 
Let's strive today, just today, to get our head on the pillow tonight without having grumbled one time for the rest of our waking hours. It'll be an exercise that will show you how strong this temptation is and how weak your flesh is. But I really want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling by not grumbling today. Let's just get through today. Let's work through today. And then we're going to wake up tomorrow. And I am going to raise the bar tomorrow. Let's get through Monday. Let's see if we can get through Monday without grumbling. And Tuesday and Wednesday. And let's see if we cannot be conscientious this week to try to kill this sin of grumbling before this sin of grumbling kills us. To borrow from John Owen of long ago. Okay, so we need to remember to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in us. Let me leave you with a verse that you need to hear and you need to write this down to help you fight this grumbling temptation and then I'm going to pray. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26 says this. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. The soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You hear an anti-grumbling theme in that? Let's be a people today that waits quietly for the salvation of the Lord. To wait loudly is to grumble. To wait quietly is to pray. And let's do that now as we close. Father, we thank you for the call to not doubt your sovereignty, to not appreciate your sovereignty by the sin of grumbling. We ask, Father, that you would deliver us from this temptation to evil. It is an affront to you. We ask you, Lord, to give us a mind to hearken to Lamentations 3. And when we're tempted to grumble and complain about our circumstances, that we would be a people from this day forward that are marked with a quiet spirit that waits on your provision in your perfect time. And we pray all this for the glory of Christ. We don't want to put him to the test. Amen.